Welcome to an all-new episode of Let's Talk About Everything Wrestling, a.k.a. Let's Talk About AEW, where we'll talk a little bit more about than just AEW, a little WWE, whatever else is going on in the minds of the people. I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Harry. Harry, how are you today? And uh, because I didn't mention it, my name's Corey Richmond, formerly of the Workshop Wrestling Podcast, and also the FamDo network of shows, including you don't know Jackie View. Harry, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Corey. So, uh, Harry, it's been a crazy two weeks since the last time we did a show. Let everybody know we did do a show two weeks ago, but there were some problems with the audio. So, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it to air. But we're back and ready to, uh, quote, unquote, rumble. Because, you know, the Royal Rumble's two months away. Cheap plug, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next com- couple of weeks. Because I'm sure WWE will... Uh, bombard us with uh, promo packages usually the best part of that actual show the lead up but um harry we missed uh we missed talking about full gear and survivor series so let's uh, let's get right into that i think both shows overall were pretty solid shows me being the aw mark i'm going to say that full gear was top to bottom the better show i would say survivor series maybe had maybe the better moment when it came to Sami Zayn and the uh, officially becoming part of the bloodline. But as an overall top to bottom show, I think full gear, even without CM Punk, who I'm sure we'll talk about at some point during the podcast, because he's always spoken about being here and not being here. Would you agree with full gear, a better show survivor series at the same level? What, what's your thoughts? No, I agree. Uh, full gear is definitely a better show uh, top to bottom for sure. The Sami Zayn moment definitely helped the Survivor Series, and I, I we will, we'll, we'll get into that as we uh, go into the uh, podcast, but uh, definitely AEW uh, Full Gear show was better. Uh, was there a particular match on Full Gear that put it over the top, was just uh, as an overall top-to-bottom show? Like, Was there anything that, like, the return of Saray, was that, like, something that you really liked was... The idea of the start of the, which now has become a best of seven series between the, the the return of the elite. What like really stood out to you from full gear that kind of put it over the top? Was it the uh, MJF, you know, finally realizing his, uh, his promise and becoming champion? Uh, two matches that stuck out to me was the uh, Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm match. Uh, I feel this is going to bring on the next feud between Britt and Hayter. Um, maybe not right away, but there's going to be some storytelling with it. And then obviously the MJF move. Um, I, if you remember correctly, um, I don't know if our podcast will make it to uh, air, but I did call that uh, Regal would turn on Mox, and he did. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to said that, sir. I think that was uh, my idea, and you might have jumped on the other end of that. But, but let's not facts get the way of a great story. Continue. But uh, so you know, Regal did turn on uh, on Mox and uh, and MJF is now the champ. Um, we all were fooled that you know that MJF was going to try and do this clean. You know, uh, he's being the devil. You know that he uh, always claims to be. So uh, I was happy with the result. Uh, I felt those two matches stuck out the most. Um, you brought up the Soraya and uh, Britt match. I was actually kind of disappointed. Uh, it seemed like the crowd wasn't into it. Um, they actually did a pretty good job, in my opinion. I felt Britt really protected Soraya and actually did well with her. 
Um, but the crowd itself was almost like a Bridgeport, Connecticut crowd. It uh, did not, uh, didn't seem to care for the match. So I was a little disappointed in that part. That's interesting. Um, I unfortunately, I mean, I've been to a couple of the uh, shows in New Jersey. And unfortunately, this time with work, I wasn't able to uh, attend. But I thought the crowd was pretty solid. Maybe for that one match, I could see what you're saying. Um, one of my favorite matches of the night was actually the uh, the opener of the actual pay-per-view. And I, I love the Eddie uh, Eddie Kingston uh, getting his dream to uh, to, to wrestle uh, one of his longtime uh, idols. And I thought their match was very good, but I thought that Jungle Boy, or if you want to call him Jungle Man, or just Jack Perry now versus Luchasaurus, that cage match, you can nitpick saying, you know, what's the point of having a cage match? People going outside all the time. But I thought with them going outside and bringing in the tables and everything, I thought their intensity and everything really worked. I think it very well might be the best match of both of their singles career. I mean, I know a lot of people maybe say that. Phoenix versus Jungle Boy from a couple of months back at um, the Grand Slam shows might be the best match Jungle Boy has had. But as a singles, I think him and Luchasaurus had great chemistry, and I thought that really worked as an opener to get the fans into it. Oh, I agree. I I kind of forgot about that match. I don't know how I did, but I did. That was a really good match as well. I just remember when I was watching the show, the two that stuck out to me were the two I just you know previously mentioned. But uh, I think Jungle Boy is, uh, you know, phenomenal. And I think that the compliment from Luchasaurus, like you said, with the chemistry works very well. Someone put a poll out. Um, I think it was EJ Fulbright about which four of the pillars do you feel are, are the top to bottom on the iHeart Wrestling uh, Facebook group. And uh, I actually brought up a lot of content that I wasn't expecting so many responses for. And I th- Jungle Boy got a lot more credit from people than I expected to, um, which is good for me because I, I personally like Jungle Boy. Um, I think he's going to be great. And I think he is you know, one of the future you know, pillars for AEW. I think all four of the uh, pillars had great showings at the pay-per-view. And for those who are catching this by accident or don't know that much about the AEW pillars, the, the four pillars of AEW, are the current world champion in MJF, uh, Darby Allen, former TNT champion, uh, Sammy Guevara, former TNT champion, and Jungle Boy, former uh, tag team champion. And of course, one of the conversations that came up there was, should any of them maybe be taken out and who would you replace them with, which we could talk about in a moment. But I think that was a really interesting conversation on how you would rank the four of them. I didn't chime in on there because a lot of times, and this is, you want to, I think it's in my mind, you want to keep things fresh if they're going to maybe come up on the podcast. So I may, I'll bring up my, uh, my point of view on some of these posts on the show itself. I think it's, I think MJF, of course, I think is the obvious one because of what he's done with CM Punk and now being world champion and, you know, the incredible mic skills. But I think it's a very interesting thing where you put the other three. I mean, I don't think anyone could be wrong. I mean, you could say Sammy being part of, you know, one of the biggest stables in the company, which is always on TV and right or wrong has dealt with, I think, the best possible of being, I'm not going to say be forced, but as the fans turning him into a heel because of his relationship with, with Ty Mello, the former Ty Conte. 
if you wanted to say Darby, who has become one of the most popular people in the company and has basically given a second life to uh, to the Sting character, you could put him at two. Or you could even put Jungle Jack Perry, who's, you know, like I said, was is super over, former tag team champion. Looks like he's uh, on the right path to being bigger and better. And if you told me that he would be, you know, a um, the quote-unquote equivalent of like a Grand Slam champion like the WWE does, I could very well see him being, you know, a world champion at some point, being maybe the all uh, the the title that um, the the all European or whatever it's called now. I'm sorry, I forgot what it's called, but the title that Orange Cassidy has, you know, and then I, he's already been a tag team champion. I could see him being like the first Grand Slam champion, you know. And if you wanted to put someone else in that four pillars conversation, Orange Cassidy, I think, is a great pick. I think Britt Baker is a great pick. So I mean. Yes, they they were labeled the four pillars, and I um, but I remember like in that CM Punk promo when they were going back and forth him and MJF, they went and said, you know, there's really should be five pillars with with Britt Baker. So I think that the the young nucleus in AW is strong. But Harry, what was what was your picks? I know you said MJF was one. Do you remember what you did for your two, three, and four? I did MJF one. Jungle Boy 2, uh, Darby Allen 3, and uh, Sammy 4. Um, again, no disrespect to any of them. It's my personal opinion. I also felt that uh, you could have, you, you could throw in Orange Cassidy or uh, uh, Absolute Ricky Starks in for either Sammy or Darby. And again, it's no disrespect to them. You know, uh, the other one I had as like a, as like a honorable mention was, uh, all ego Ethan Page, you know, he, he literally could be a future opponent to, you know, chasing, you know, the heavyweight belt or, you know, any of the belts, to be honest, I mean, he could be a long time, you know, a staple uh, in AEW. Mm-hmm. So it's not a knock on any one of them per se. Um, it, it all comes down to what your personal belief is and who I guess you root for. Um, I feel Sammy's benefited from being around Jericho. Uh, I, I'm Sammy's a phenomenal athlete. I, I take nothing from him, but he's kind of gotten stale to me. Like, uh, I don't know where he goes next. Eventually, you know, Jericho is going to, you know, one would hope, one would think that Jericho's eventually going to go out to pastor and not go the sting route and wrestle till he's 60. And Jericho's in phenomenal shape. That's the wrong idea. But does Sammy break away from him or does Jericho stay around? Does Jericho, you know, mentor him? Uh, you know, so that's something that I guess to see down the road. The reason why I picked Jungle Boy second is I feel Jungle Boy has the most potential. He's the most raw. And now that he is away from Luchasaurus and Christian, he's, you know, becoming to have a singles career. He can always go back to being a tag partner with someone down the road if he wanted to be. But I feel he can slowly take that step. He's still young. I think he's in his early 20s, right? He's like 22, oh, 23. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, as like, you know, now you have like the Wardlows, the Samoa Joes, you have, and, and of course I'm, you know, I'm botching, you know, some here, I forget, but you have guys already paving the way when those guys tend to move up to the heavyweight, you know, Jack can move in and kind of dominate the TNT belt or the Mid-Atlantic belt or so, you know, or, or that avenue. So I just feel he has the most potential and he's done and has improved the most out of 
out of the other three besides MJF. MJF was already kind of destined to be where he is. And I've said this before somewhere else. MJF is a modern day Ric Flair as far as how he's carrying himself, becoming that ultimate heel. And he's doing it well. He, he literally is playing himself. He's playing, you know, he's playing a role that he was destined to have. And even if he isn't this person out of character, you really wouldn't know it. Sure. Um, and we brought him up as one of the four pillars. So just quickly, I, I think it's a match I might get forgotten about, but I thought one of the best ma- – and, of course, everything you're saying is one of the best matches of the car because I think top to bottom, full gear. And I even think, like, the Jade match versus Nyla Rose, for what it was, I actually thought was okay. So I don't think – so, I mean, there's always a worst match of the night and a best match, but one of the best matches of the night that I think people might forget about was the four-way, one of the guys we just spoke about, Sammy uh, Guevara with – uh, Brian Danielson, Daniel, uh, former Daniel Bryan, WWE, Claudio Casanoli, the former Cesaro, and the Demo God, apparently, and the Ocho, and every other name that you want to come up with. The GOAT, some people, I guess, maybe say uh, Chris Jericho. I thought that four-way for the ROH title, some people might disagree. Maybe some people thought it started off a little slow at points, but I thought the chemistry at the four guys, and, you, and you'll hear me say a lot about chemistry. I wasn't a good student in, uh, when it came to science and may not, maybe can't really tell you what chemistry is, but inside a ring, the four of them, I thought had really good chemistry. And I'm actually a little surprised that, and I'll be honest, I did not watch as closely as most weeks to last week's Dynamite, but I do find it interesting that they haven't really spoken much about the Sammy Guevara, Chris Jericho, you know, a little bit of tension that they had at the pay-per-view, which I thought made that match even better. Yeah, I was surprised about that too. Uh, I, I don't know if there's just all the other overwhelming topics going on or storylines that kind of just pushed it off to the side for now, mm-hmm. but that has to be what you would hope that that gets revisited because you could definitely tell there was some tension there. And that's what I mean about Sammy, that I don't know where he goes after that. Um, that's why I feel that Jungle Boy, you know, getting back to my other, you know, uh, point before was that Jungle Boy doesn't have that on his yes yeah, so when Christian comes back and he's fully healed maybe there's a true feud between him and Christian but besides that there's no influence there where Christian's not holding much over him you know Jericho can hold over Sammy that he made Sammy and I feel that that can make or break Sammy depending on how Sammy takes to that um, so I guess you know we'll see that in the weeks to come and uh, so going back to uh, the WWE, because like I said, yes, we are called Let's Talk About AEW, but we do try to give, you know, equal time if possible to both both major shows. One of the one of the things that I did not like, and I'm not the only one, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, because, you know, I, Harry, from the limited amount I've known you, it seems like you have pretty solid taste, a.k.a. liking what I like. Uh, <laughs> one of the, the major problems with that show was Ronda Rousey versus Shotzi Blackheart. I'll be honest, am I watching every Ronda Rousey match or segment over the last, you know, six months? In all honesty, I, I think when we started the show, I said I watched, you know, mostly Roman Reigns segments when it came to SmackDown and, you know, some highlights here and there because I was a little jaded at that point. Um, but I really and I'm not blaming and it's, 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 it's mean to say it this way. I'm not blaming Shotzi for that match not working. I'm blaming Ronda Rousey. and. 
I'm wondering, and we can talk about this more this episode and maybe future episodes, is the is the you know the blossom of the rose kind of off Ronda Rousey? Because I mean, from the limited amounts that I've seen, Ronda Rousey, yes, if you go and if you went and asked you know a hundred average people who don't watch you know wrestling all the time to name you know some name like four or five wrestlers one of the names that will come up is ronda rousey so i'm not taking saying that her star power doesn't exist but i don't think ronda rousey i'm not saying she's not worth the money because the stuff that's coming in is you know of course great but i just don't know if ronda rousey needs to be where she is at this point i'm not saying get rid of her by any stretch, because I think everybody plays their role. But I don't think she needs to be, you know, world champion until WrestleMania for the rematch with Becky Lynch or something to that effect. All WWE is doing is capitalizing on her name from before her reign in WWE. That is it. Uh, and no one can tell me different. I mean, they could try, but um, I don't. I won't believe it. Uh, she is definitely, uh, you know, uh, regressed. She is not better. She doesn't protect. She doesn't protect the person in the, in the ring. Uh, she's sloppy. I I cannot defend her whatsoever. I used to be a huge Ronda fan when you know when she was in UFC and all that. And um, I you know I can't defend her. There's nothing to defend. Uh, you know the person she's running with now. You know Sheena Baszler has you know was a great MMA fighter. You know and she converted. Into a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, to me, it's laziness. It's pure laziness, and maybe some cockiness or not caring or both. Um, but the belt's only on because of the name, and that's it. And that's been one of my biggest problems with WWE over the years. Even you know, from when Vince was there to now, Trips is they'll just capitalize on the name of someone. That's why I was so impressed with Logan Paul. Not to drag him back into this. At least Logan Paul put on a decent show. I know he's whatever everyone wants to call him, but in three matches, he wrestled better than Ronda has in four years. So she should be ashamed of herself. Uh, there was another topic on one of the Facebook groups. It was I Heart Wrestling, but you know, who is better? Uh, Jay, has Jay Cargill from AEW gotten better compared to what Ronda's done in four years? And Jade has. Jade has improved so much better. She has a lot more work still to go, but she's improved time and time again to at least be somewhat better. Ronda um, is very disappointing. I, you know what? I saw that post and I I was not sure the right answer to that, to be honest. I mean, right now, I think you would say that the better angering worker, I think, is still um, Ronda Rousey. But growth as a character, I think you have to give the edge to Jade. I mean, I would say the first run before uh, before Ronda uh, Rousey left to uh, to have a child, I thought her first run was pretty solid. I mean, how it ended at WrestleMania, I didn't think I thought it was a little sloppy and everything else. But I thought her initial run with stuff with Alexa Bliss and everything, I thought was done well. Since coming back, not so much. And this will be brought up in something else we're going to talk about in a, in a moment from the uh, Survivor Series, which I think was actually a positive. And we spoke about this person in depth a couple of weeks back. But is this an example, which we'll talk about in a second, Ronda Rousey was a Vince McMahon project? Are we sure that Ronda Rousey is a Triple H project? 
You know, I mean, who knows? We'll find out as time goes along. And I'm sure some storylines that Vince had in the uh, in the process are going to stick around and, you know, develop past, rest, you know, into WrestleMania season. But I do wonder, do the fact that Triple H appears to be more of a work rate guy and, you know, liking the indie style for what it is. I wonder, as we go along, yes, yeah, she's got a big contract and I don't see her like, you know, exiting stage left by any stretch but do we think ronda rousey is a vince project that triple h has kind of been saddled with maybe is the wrong way to put it but who's basically now been just putting her you know on on triple h's plate or do you think ronda is a a triple h person as well i mean i I, we know that Shayna baszler is a triple h you know person and there was rumors for you know for a long time that we might see the four horsewomen of MMA versus the four horsewomen of NXT. But what's your thoughts on that? Do you think Ronda is a leftover piece of the Vince era? Or do you think she has, you think Triple H likes what he sees and has plans for her as well? At the end of the day, it's about money, right? So I think Trips has to take into account that Ronda's name still hold some clout regardless of how sloppy or or you know us you know purists you know have our commentary that doesn't matter it's irrelevant WWE is more about the casual fan than it is about the purists you know the purists are more for the indie scene and AEW and impact and all that that's uh you know the uh that's the uh, synopsis in in this industry right so in my opinion I feel it's a it's a Vince project that Trips is smart about doing because he's not just necessarily cutting her off or just saying, okay, this isn't something I want to do. He's giving her the opportunity to try to to create magic, you know, happen. The best thing he ever did though was put her with Shayna. Cause then if she does lose the belt, you can put her and Shayna together, and her and Shayna then can go after the tag belts. And I feel that there's more grooming there to turn Rhonda's kind of little bump in the road around if she's willing to do it, but it doesn't, the in-ring attitude and her mannerisms just don't look like she wants to do it. She just doesn't, doesn't seem like someone who's looking to improve to me, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing it from a TV screen. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not seeing behind the scenes stuff. Sure. Um, so the other, the other person who, we a couple of weeks back we said was a Vince project, not a Triple H project. And I think, and it's funny that two of my favorite matches of the last two weeks on pay per view were multi person matches. You had the three way for the, uh, I believe it was the U. Oh God, what is Seth Rollins sold? The U.S. or the U.S. U.S. Was it short? Which uh, there's too many titles in wrestling, and and I know as an AEW mark, I shouldn't say that because it feels like there's 45 of them and. None of them are actually getting on TV. But um, what was your thoughts on our, our our buddy over there, Austin Theory, who a couple of weeks ago looked like he was dead and buried? We both had mentioned somewhat to that expe- extent on the podcast. He basically got rid of all of the, the gags and the gimmicks and is basically grew out a little bit of a beard or some scruff. And now he's your new uh, new champion. First, what do you think of the match? And what do you think of the idea of maybe Austin Theory isn't buried? It was just we got one albatross off to set up another story. This was brilliant. 
uh, Seth set him up in that opening Monday, uh, Monday Night Raw, came out and kind of, you know, dismissed the whole, like, uh, you know, Money in the Bank, you know, uh, cash in and all that, and, and kind of really laid out a perfect, you know, walkway to have Austin Theory remolded quickly. And then you got this, you know, guy who, like you said, grew some scruff, nice beard, you know, with an attitude, but not a pompous, arrogant, you know, millennial attitude. He was a hungry, you know, looking for vengeance. And uh, I feel the I feel the way the wind went was perfect. Um, how he capitalized on what, you know, Lashley spearing Seth and then, you know, took took the belt that way. That was the best way to make everyone still look strong, but to put the strap on him to change his you know complete career i believe triple h said it in the uh post press conference that you know two weeks ago you know austin theory didn't have a career and then all of a sudden now now he has one great flip it's a great flip um i was shocked by it i'm glad it happened for him uh but yeah so definitely that's that's the magic i'm talking about that triple h can do he took a vince mcmahon run that was, you know, going to be a dead end, cut it, flipped it, remolded it and pushed it out. And now we have a whole new Austin theory. I love the move. And I think it was brilliant. Very cool. Uh, so like I said, I'm sure there's other matches that we didn't get into, but let's get into quickly uh, our thoughts on the two war games matches. I'll let you know right off the top. I, th- I love the ending to the men's war game, but I think I liked as an overall match, the women's war game match uh, more. I think that the idea of an NXT has had did this once before. And we, and I think it was actually with the women's war games match, either the last one they did or the second to last, where when you give the heels, when, when you give the baby faces, the, the, the man advantage, I think it's a hard match to do because the idea is that the, uh, the, the uh, baby faces are always supposed to be a little bit in peril. And when you do that with the men's war games match, and yes, it's it's great that the last image you would see, you know, Kevin Owens and all the stuff going on. But the idea of, you know, someone like Jimmy, uh, J, uh, Jay Uso having to sell for like 95% of that match before everyone comes in, I think takes away. I mean, you had Pete Dunne, who at time, it felt like I, it was a little bit too much resting going on in that match at points. It wasn't a bad match. And of course, the way it ended with Kevin Owens have, being able, you know, it was, looks like he was going to beat Roman Reigns clean with the stunner. And you had Sami Zayn go and grabbing the hand of the ref and stopping it. And then you had the low blow, the Haluva kick, Jay getting the win. But that was all done masterfully. And we can go and talk for hours on how much I think Sami Zayn, as much as at the time, maybe I thought it was the wrong decision. Just like Kevin Owens made the incredibly right decision to stay with WWE and not to go to AEW because of all the stuff they've been able to do. But what uh, before I get to women's match, what, what were your thoughts on the men's uh, war games match? And if you want to, you know, go in there, which one did you like more, the men's or women's war games match? I like both. Okay. Uh, if, if I had to pick one, I guess the women's one because the women's one seemed to uh, have more more brutality, you know, and just more constant action. I did see the resting part, um, not really understanding why that was. 
I believe Kevin Owens was uh, nursing a like a high ankle sprain or something yeah. this yeah. entire time. Give him a lot of credit. I've had a high ankle sprain before. It's tough just to walk on one, let alone you know try to wrestle. I mean, you, I know you can tape things up, ice it, you know, take some medicine. I get all that, but still, uh, to show that it's not even bothering you when it probably is screaming at him the entire time, uh, man's got my respect. The, the storytelling of the end of that you know, war games was perfect. Uh, Sammy protecting Jay the entire time. You know, because uh, you, know, you remember there was that Friday night before in SmackDown, you know, uh, Jay overheard Sammy talking to, to, Ke- to KO and then Jay went to Roman and was like, look, you know, we, this guy was talking to KO. He's not good. And Roman's like, well, you know, I'm going to talk to him. Don't worry about it. We don't know the specifics of that conversation per se, but we do know that however it went down, Roman can, Roman was convinced that Sammy was going to have everyone's, you know, best interests involved. And that's the way it played out. So as far as the storyline aspect, I loved it. I think people are forgetting there's other parts to that storyline. You can go so many different ways. Jay can turn. This could all just be a facade from Jay. And the main event, Jay Uso can turn and eventually try to go after Roman. You know, you know, uh, Solo Sokoa could, uh, you know, be portrayed as one that's eventually going to turn on everybody. He doesn't make any of the hand signals. He's not, you know, he's supposed to be the enforcer, but he's not, you know, uh, you know, um, what's the, what's what I'm looking for? Like celebrating with the, with the bloodline and family always with a stone cold face. So there's multiple ways we can go with that. Or eventually Sammy can play everyone and eventually, you know, rejoin KO at some point. Um, so that ending was right. Like you said, but yeah, I think the resting part either was a fatigue thing or it was just, they were trying to play out the match to let it go to the end. But I think what kept everyone in suspense is what Sammy was going to do and how, you know, it was going to interact with KO. So maybe most casual fans just didn't really, didn't, it didn't matter for them, but someone like you and I would, would, would pick up on it. So a little on topic, but off topic as an old school, you know, 44 year old wrestling fan, I'm sure you remember back in the day, WCW war games matches. They had this little thing called a cage on top. I remember, you know, TNA did their uh, full metal, no, full metal mayhem was a, Different time match, but they they oh uh, lethal lockdown where they had a cage. I know that it's easy, you know, you would have most likely not have had to pass an NXT with you know some of the dives by EO or Johnny Gar. I believe it was Johnny Gargano did a crazy dive off the top of the cage. Do you like the idea of the current setup of NXT slash WWE war games, or do you miss the the idea of the cage and? the idea of, you know, the weapons and everything else where other versions have done. I miss the old school way. I mean, just because that's the way I was raised into it. Um, I, I loved the, you know, the, the horseman versus whoever scenario back in the day. Uh, you know, yes, I was, you know, raised on WWE to some degree or WWF back then, but, you know, I loved WCW and ECW just as much. And, uh, War Games was the best part, at least to me. War, War Games and Starcade were always, you know, big components to me. So, um, you know, I, I'm more favored personally to the old style. And uh, I agree. I mean, like I said, you always like things when they knew things and how they how things change. But 
I do agree. I like the idea of the uh, the cage on top. But uh, back to as we we close out this part of the uh, the episode, of the women's match. I thought Becky Lynch once again showed that she's a, she's a star. I know that depending on what market you were in on Friday night, you either saw it at eight o'clock when it happened, or you're waiting to the end of the uh, college football game to see a slight delay. So it might've been room for some people, the return of Becky Lynch, or if, you know, you subscribe to Fightful, Sean Sap, you know, strongly hinted at it uh, basically the day before. What was your thoughts on the return of Becky Lynch? And do you want to see Becky versus Rhonda, Becky versus Rhea, Becky versus Bailey, which looks like the direction coming off of Monday. Where do you want to see the long-term, I guess, going into WrestleMania season? What do you want to see Becky do? Because, I mean, I think she does bring life back into this product. And, you know, I know we're waiting for, you know, Charlotte Flair to come back. But SmackDown really needs something to boost up that women's division. And I think, yes, the A show, based on history is Monday nights, but Becky really needs to go. They might need to go to SmackDown to freshen up that, that roster. You literally just took it word for word for me. Like that's exactly what my mindset is at. The only other, the only other thing that could have been better than Becky coming out was say somehow Sasha came out, but I don't know how Sasha comes out without Naomi from that whole situation. And then there's other reports that we don't even know where Sasha's at. And then there's some reports that, you know, that uh, Sasha was about money and she's, you know, going at it with AWNWWE. And then that report was taken down. So Becky was a safe play and Becky is the man. I, uh, I think that the women's division needs another strong face. They tried pushing Liv and a couple others and it backfired. So I totally feel that this is the right move. Becky coming back into the picture. Becky can then go ahead and, you know, uh, feud with Ronda, feud with Bailey, you know, and go all about that. Uh, so I agree with you. I think it was the right move and the best play. I even heard it. Uh, I think it was in the post conference again uh, with trips where, you know, when Becky first came, you know, was talked about coming back. She was like, well, coming back to, you know, war games would be kind of rough. And then five minutes later, she's like, oh yeah. She's like, you know, I'll do it. And then, a half hour later, someone from, someone from creatives calling trips and is saying Becky wants to jump off the top, like so, uh, which is typical, supposedly you know Becky Lynch, you know way of thinking, uh, you know has a little you know moment where she's nervous, then is all in, and then wants to go beyond all in. Uh, so I, I think it's only you know benefits the division. I am wondering when Charlotte comes back. You can say what you want about Charlotte. I'm not necessarily a personal fan, but gotta respect her you know charlotte is who she is and she's she's the goat as far as i'm concerned until someone proves differently um but we need to have those type of you know original pillars right that came from nxt in the women's division you know because yes bianca's a star but we need more younger ones building until you know so once those younger ones build up you still need those you know, hook, line, and sinker stars there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting when uh, a Charlotte Flair does come back or if we get some people, a Mandy Rose, who's, you know, been champion NXT for over a year now, when she makes her return to the main roster. It's going to be interesting to see 
where they put everyone and where they'll be placed. But um, the last thing we could talk about in regards to the two pay-per-views or premium live events over the last two weeks, we mentioned it for a second, but MJF, your new world champion, MJF had a great promo, which we'll talk about in a moment here when we get into more of an AEW-centric conversation. But your initial thoughts, we, we know that we were both in our own way, right about how the match was going to end. Me a little bit more right than you, because I, I feel it was my idea, but that's a loss to the ether of an episode that never aired. Um, but what was your thoughts, I guess, on the match and everything else when it came to that night with MJF, you know, becoming world champion? It played out exactly how it should have. You can't have MJF win it clean. It ruined the whole gimmick. He, he's not a face. Maybe down the road, I, I and even now I don't see it. He is the salt of the earth. He is everyone that you want to hate. He's better than you, and we all know it. And the guy can talk it. He can definitely flaunt it. He is the modern-day Ric Flair. He's a modern-day Ric Flair as far as, like, he has that it factor to him. Could his in-ring wrestling get better? Sure, it can. It, it needs to. Uh, there was a discussion somewhere about you know how how much he went at Mox. Um, I remember listening to it earlier today, and uh, I thought I was the only one that thought that. And then someone else brought it up and made me realize that I'm starting to see things at a great level. So MJF's one of that kind of that like punky kid that like is gonna like push your buttons, try to trigger you, but would run from like the bully. And he didn't run from the bully. You know, Mox gave it to him. Mox gave him some stiff some stiff work. And he went right back at him. And that's where MJF kind of earned my respect. Because he's there knowing that he's going to be the target. And that bigger, badder, tougher opponents are going to come. And he's ready for it. I feel this is perfect timing. I feel his promos are fire. But they always happen. But now he's putting the work in. He looks the part. He can wrestle the part. And he's only going to get better at it. Yeah, I couldn't disagree. Uh, so let's let's move on to... AW Dynamite, aka the fallout from full gear from the last two weeks. Let's we, we can kind of combine the two, the, the whole entire William Regal situation as we talk about this. So last week when we didn't have a show, you had William Regal come out, say that MJF is in Hollywood filming a movie, which I, I he was. Um, he'll be back next week. There was an email. That will explain everything, which we will get into in a second. But you had the aforementioned John Moxley, who apparently he's never going on vacation, uh, went and conf confronted him, uh, William Regal, told him, you know, to leave. You, you set the seeds of Brian Danielson in regards to saving him. You told him to run. Then what happened last night? MJF. I think this promo is, is going to be very de de uh, divisive with people. I think most people enjoyed the promo. You'd say that the Indianapolis crowd didn't exactly help, help the promo in regards to trying to with the pacing. But I want to know before we get into everything, did you like the length of this promo? Cause this promo, I believe was like 17 minutes long. And I know one of the staples of early AW was you were going to have these super long promo segments but when you do, they've kind of worked with MJF 
and Moxley, MJF, and CM Punk, MJF, and William Regal from a couple of weeks back. Before we get into the actual promo itself and what happened, did you think this promo was too long? Did you think it worked? What's your thoughts on that? I personally feel it worked. I feel it was necessary. It told a perfect story. If you remember correctly, the original one a few a few weeks back, it might even be the dynamite I was at live. You know, uh, Regal turned his back to MJF so MJF can hit him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then no, nothing came of it. You remember? And then that's and that's when you know. Then they had the front to front confrontation. So it was it was a way of getting Regal to turn. And then the turn came. We had AEW, you know, we had the fallout from that. MJF is champion. You know, Mox tells, you know, Regal to run and never come back. The minute Mox leaves the building, because again, Mox is not on vacation. He's fighting someone else. We'll get into that in a minute. You know, Regal comes out. MJF comes out. Spits the fire promo, which I felt was great. I was okay with the time frame. And then you have the fallout from that. I felt that was great storytelling. I think the problem is that that crowd did not understand what was happening. And maybe that's where the casual fan may misread it or people just forgot how that was supposed to play out. It didn't make sense at first um, to some. And even I kind of questioned it at first. And then after I sat back and recalculated everything, because it, so, it was so long, it made you then realize it played out exactly how it was supposed to. I, I agree. It's, I really, I'm going to have to start just faking uh, opinions just so we don't agree so much. But um, Sorry. <laughs> of course. But I thought that I thought it was paced well. Like I said, I do think that most likely this would have been maybe two minutes shorter if he didn't have to keep on trying to get the crowd to understand where he wanted to go. I mean, we spoke about in past weeks on the idea of if MJF would, is actually turning babyface. We both thought that that wouldn't be the right decision, but I think MJF did such a good job over the last month of portraying, you know, that he could be a good guy or he could be a babyface in the in the future that the crowd didn't know how to react to him. And I think that he's doing all these heel things and he's talking about, you know, Eddie Kingston and Ricky Starks and which was great setting up future angles Daniel uh Brian Danielson that I'm not sure if the crowd knew they were supposed to boo him. Like this was Chicago or a New York, you know, crowd. And yes, we're talking about East coast cities because East coast is better than West coast. We all know. Um, but I do think that was a little bit of a problem with it. And I think that it all ended perfectly, but the lead up, I could see how people didn't like, because it just, it felt like it dragged a little too much. And I think that it was, I, I think it was done perfectly in regards to Regal coming out after Moxley and Hangman were thrown out of the building. Thought that was beautiful storytelling and that made sense. But I do think that getting to that key moment at the end might have taken a smidge too long. Um, but talking about how that segment ended, I thought was pure brilliance. You already mentioned. Kind of what happened there, but for those who haven't had a chance to see the, uh, this week's dynamite yet, you had the unveiling of the new title, 
which is whatever. I don't think it's anything special, but it's MJF. You get you gets his own title. That's great. The big blue, uh, the big uh, blueberry or Burberry or yeah, Burberry, Huckleberry belt. Um, he's he's our new planet's champion. Um, but I thought that was done really well. And then with the turn, and you saw it coming, but you didn't see it coming. The with the bra- I'm talking about the email with him wanting to get the brass ring and the idea that if you really want to be a heel, I'm here to I'll help you. I, I think part of the problem also, I guess, is we don't know why he actually t- we don't know why Regal actually turned on John Moxley. You know, I mean, I feel that's kind of a hole. And if AEW has any brains at all, we don't see William Regal for months. If he's actually staying, we don't know for sure. There's multiple rumors out there, which we'll get to in a moment of saying that he, you know, he could be back in NXT any moment. But I think that's the one part of this that did not work for me is the idea of the fact that we do not know why Regal actually turned. You could say, all right, he want, he was embracing his villain side and he saw potential, but you know, we didn't really get that in last week's promo segment with Moxley and Regal, we saw Regal's, we saw Moxley's anger, but we didn't see, we really don't have like, we didn't get that promo on why he actually did it, you know? And I thought the way that he knocked him out and how they brought up in regards to his previous health issues with, with you know, um, different injuries, I thought was done perfectly. The way that William Regal sold looking that he was literally was dead for like four minutes was done perfectly. The reading of, you know, the rereading of the email of now saying that, you know, when you're not on our, you're not on my level, but all that was great. But I do think that there's, if, if Regal is gone, I don't know if you put everything in enough of a ball to be as good as it could have been. Yeah, it's tough. It depends on the time frame, and, you know, you know, especially with the speculations of the contract. And, you know, I think that's what plays the big part here. Was this rushed because, you know, he was, you know, dead set to leave no matter what. It's not a secret in the industry that he's, you know, he was Tripp's right-hand man. And let's be honest, Vince is the one who let him go. Triple H never let him go. You know, so, you know, when Tripp's definitely, you know, got the reign of of WWE, he was going to want his guy back. There's also been reports that uh, Regal would have never signed with AEW, which is not a disrespect thing, you know, if he knew that eventually Vince would be out and Tripp's would get, control um this is what i said somewhere today and i'll say it again if this is it for regal yes the storyline part is tough and leaving the leaving us empty with exactly what caused him to turn on mox will be disappointing i'm not mad at regal and and i'm actually happy with the imprint that's my word of the day imprint the imprint he put on that locker room you can tell by how he's socialized on camera and probably has off camera there's definitely a better you know um morale and knowledge base in that locker room now just from regal just from regal's presence let alone whatever else he did on camera uh so he did his job even if it's nine months a year whatever it's been um he's definitely done his job and uh i would you know i if i'm tony i would not be mad at it i would let it happen if you you know you got to got to respect someone who wants to do what they want and do what they love and 
I would hope to keep the door open for him to come back. So, so let's get into this. We'll, we'll get into a Moxley and Hangman in a moment. Uh, but so the, so the reports going on over the last couple of days from Uncle Dave, Dave Meltzer, who sometimes he gets these stories right, sometimes he gets them wrong, sometimes he figures out the pieces of the puzzle as it goes along. But apparently after the pay-per-view last two weeks ago and Dynamite from uh, when we had the, the Moxley versus um, Regal's standoff where he told him, you know, run, don't ever come back. A lot of information was coming out that fact that Regal's contract might have been, might be, a, was a one-year deal. Then all of a sudden it came out that Meltzer saying that it was a three-year deal. Then all of a sudden yesterday, Meltzer made it seem like he's hearing other stuff that he can't officially say. And then there might have been an, an option where it might may have not gotten may not get picked up. Then we had Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful today saying that he's hearing from a couple of sources, which he can't fully confirm, but he's saying that the contract uh, is up in December, very similar to like the Bobby Fish contract that was a short-term deal. PW Insider is saying that they're hearing unofficially some sources saying that Regal could be coming back to uh, NXT any moment. So, I mean, you know, like the punk stuff and everything else, when there's smoke, there's often there's often some sort of, you know, fire. So, I mean, we'll, we'll find out in the coming weeks or months what's actually going on with Regal. But in my point of view, I think the way he was run off was done perfectly. And if it was me, I would have him come back, if he is coming back, at the at the March pay-per-view revolution, when you, I think the direction they're going to go is Brian Danielson versus MJF. I think it's kind of weird, and you're going to say whatever here, but Mikey Ruckus, who might be the best uh, music producer out there when it comes to re- uh, wrestling music, literally debuted a new regal uh, theme music a week ago. If you want to say the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, possibly because it's such a big company, but it seems a little weird that you 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 know put in a new theme song a week before the person's possibly leaving. So I think that could he possibly be gone? I mean, his son works there, and you're going to have NXT Europe coming up, you know, sometime next year or the year after. And if he wanted to go back to you know be be with his son, and apparently, I don't throw a lot of stuff out here, so I apologize. But you know, there other things that have been saying that he never wanted to be on the road as much as he is. I mean, NXT is a stationary developmental company or brand that's, you know, in Orlando, Florida. AW is traveling every week. With the health issues that, you know, Regal's had in the past, I've got no problem with the idea if he wanted to go back and be at a more, be home more. So, I mean, I know it threw a lot of things out there to you right now, but Harry, what, what's your thoughts on what Regal might do, what you think, how you think this is all going to work out. He has to only come back in March if he's still under contract. Make him go away, like you said. Um, you know, the plant is is there. You know, the seed is planted, I should say, for a, you know, Brian Danielson, MJF feud. Wasn't there a report a few weeks ago that Brian Danielson didn't care about necessarily being champ, but just wanted to wrestle good matches and that, once his contract's up, he might be, you know, done with wrestling or done wrestling, you know, full time. 
all these reports could just be reports to steer us in a different direction. I mean, I'm not saying that Uncle Dave or Fightful or, you know, PW Insider are, you know, blowing smoke. I'm sure they're hearing these reports. But sometimes these reports are just put out there to cause controversy. So guys like us talk about it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to find out. I think at the end of the day, somehow he ends up back in WWE running NXT because of his son. The time frame is just what I, I'm, I'm lost on. And I'm sure you are too. It, uh, the way it's played out though, one would think he comes back in March, especially with the theme music. But again, we've had other situations happen where, you know, like you said, the right hand says one thing, left hand says another. But my gut says that he'd be back in WWE. But with the door open that if you ever wanted to come back to AEW, I, I don't I don't see him leaving on bad terms per se. Um, I just that's just not regal style. Yeah, I mean, so let me so let's ask you this. Where do you think over the next year? I'm not saying for the rest of his life, over the next year, where do you think Regal is a better fit? Being the right-hand man for Triple H or doing stuff in AEW with the Blackpool Combat Club and doing some, you know, promos and different things. Where do you think, I'm not saying what would make William Regal happier, but as a wrestling fan, where do you think he would be more important or better fit over, like I say, the next year? Leaving his health concerns out of it? Sure. I feel he's better in AEW. I feel he can he can touch more talent. He can make all that whole locker room better. His presence, his aura. I'm not saying he couldn't develop people in NXT because he has. You know, we've we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that 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 newer journey would be would be more of more seen per se. Where if he goes back to WWE, how much control does he have? Does Sean play fiddle to him? Because we all know Shawn Michaels is running NXT, like through Triple H's, you know, regime. So how does that work? It, it kind and it's, and it's not that NXT is doing bad. You know, they're not doing bad by any means. Um, they're kind of going back to the old, you know, black and gold. You know, slowly they're slowly, you know, transferring back to what they originally were. So, it, so it really depends. I but my gut would say that he'd be better in AEW within the year if his health concerns and the travel wouldn't be too much on him. The other thing is maybe keep him off camera, maybe not have him on camera, have him do more behind the scenes stuff. If he's willing to do that, it all depends on on what he's, what he's looking to do. I would as much as I'd rather see him on TV than Jeff Jarrett. Sorry, Jeff. It is what it is, but uh, I got to take my shot at Jeff every chance I get. Uh, but if Regal's if Regal's situation is what it was health problems, you can still have the man be mentoring people, but doing it from, you know, an office somewhere with on video calls and having limited travel. That's what I'm trying to say, and still be a very productive counterpart in the AEW grand scheme of things. Sure, and this isn't my original idea, so I, I can't remember who was. I think it was um, Fightful. Um, but it is going to be really sad if he, if William Regal is leaving and we don't ever get a conclusion to the greatest romance in the history of wrestling, Excalibur and William Regal. I mean, <laughs> I heart will break just a little bit, you know, during the holiday seasons that, you know, we don't find out how that relationship would have truly ended. Uh, but no, all kidding aside, 
going to be really interesting to see how this regal situation uh, resolves. And of course, we'll be following it. And if we do hear anything and if more developments comes up, we'll be sure to talk about it. Uh, be, but before we move on, let's talk a little bit about the return of Hangman Adam Page. Now, we don't know when this match is going to happen, but Adam Page was gone for, I believe, like a month and a half, two maybe two months with the uh, the the injury that happened in the, the last time that him and Moxley were in a ring together. It was great to see him. I mean, just like NXT, I think W I think AW has this ridiculous problem of that apparently the commentators or even the executives don't know who has or has not been cleared. You know, we had with NXT with, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to watch NXT uh, this past week. I know we don't talk about NXT very often on the podcast, but we had the whole type thing with Shawn Michaels having his uh, conversation with the WWE legends and saying, you know, I don't know if Tony D'Angelo or Axiom are cleared. And then halfway through the episode, Axiom is wrestling in a match and Tony D'Angelo says he's cleared and he's wrestling next week. So, I mean, the idea that Excalibur, who I love, I think he might be the best announcer in the business. Love Kevin Kelly, but that's just, you know, one personal opinion with Excalibur. But the idea of, you know, Excalibur doesn't know that Hangman Page has been cleared, I think is a little silly, but I mean, whatever. But what was your thoughts on the return of Hangman Page and how it was handled? I personally thought that it was a pretty good brawl. I felt it was even more realistic because it was realistic. The idea of John Moxley, you know, almost killing himself on the ramp when he when he fell, especially with like MJF saying how the man's not very coordinated, has two left feet. But what do you think of the brawl and uh, the return of uh, Hangman Page? We got to start disagreeing somewhere sometime soon because I see it the exact same way. Um, I am disappointed that they don't have Excalibur having proper knowledge of things because the guy is is the best in the business at the moment. And that's not a knock anyone else. Um I wasn't a big fan of Excalibur at first, and then he grew on me a lot. And I feel he is definitely uh, the best play-by-play announcer going. Uh, he but grew on Regal as well, but that's another subject. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, with that said, you know um, I like the whole way Hangman came back. I feel it builds a feud. Um, I was hoping Mox is going to take a vacation, but I guess he's not. I guess he just kind of really loves. Uh, Fighting constantly. I mean, who knows when he's going to bleed again, uh, but we'll find out soon. I'm no problem with how, how it encountered. Um, I was fearful for Mox when he fell off the stage. I just wonder where this goes. Is this, is this going to be a feud? Does Is Paige running solo? Is Paige still somewhat flirting with eventually going back to the elite? If he does, does that drag in some type of feud with the elite? And then does Mox round up the, you know, the uh, Blackpool Combat Club somehow with without Regal. Um, so I'm excited to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I wonder if this is all just of all these like things that are going on are for the uh, show in two weeks and uh, winter is coming. I mean, it's a little quick, but I mean, if you're headline, if you're if you're co-headlining a TV show with Bucks. Uh, elite versus uh, Death Triangle match four in the series and a world title match between Ricky Starks and MJF. And then your third match in that is possibly, you know, some sort of either a death match or some sort of no hold barred match between Moxley and Hangman. That's one hell of a one, two, three punch, you know? 
definitely. No, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I'd be all in for it. But do you think that's too soon, though? Do you think they have history? And I, and I understand TV is the product. It's no longer really pay-per-views. I mean, yes, they had their fifth straight, you know, million-dollar gate for, uh, for pay-per-views. But do you think that going the return, most likely a promo segment between the two next week, and then the match, do you think that's too soon? I mean, I know our next pay-per-view isn't until March. But do you want to see maybe a little bit more time before that this, you know, this big match happens? Because, I mean, we could say all we want about Kenny Omega and, you know, Samoa Joe and all these people. But two of the like six or seven biggest stars in the company are these two men, Moxley and Paige. And, you know, two, uh, basically a week and a half, two week build. Is that enough time to really get, you know, I mean, it's going to be a great match no matter what it is. You have two of the best workers in the company, but do you, but do you think this should build a little bit further? Maybe, you know, New York, New Year's slam or whatever. Do you, or do you, do you like the idea of having it at winter's coming? No, I would have rather it been played out longer. I don't think we have that kind of time though. I think with the regal fallout, which we don't know what that is yet. Mm-hmm. I feel that the combat club, you know, uh, is kind of divided, not divided, but just kind of uh, not as gathered. Mm-hmm. So I think AEW or Tony Khan or all, whoever's you know calling the shots completely is piecing things together because you still have a show to run, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, injuries come up, you know, different fallouts, who's leaving, who doesn't want to work. So I think that where this would have been better with a better build, mm-hmm. this is just something that had to be pieced together quickly to get Hangman back on, you know, on TV to utilize him and obviously Mox didn't want a vacation yet. So let's bring that into fold. Maybe they make it like a series of matches, not a best of seven, you know, God forbid, but, but something, you know, like, you know, where maybe there's some type of a fallout where they have to do it again. And then it plays out to a pay-per-view back down in March. Um, But no, I would have rather had a longer buildup for it. I just don't think we have that kind of time. Gotcha. And I know people out there are going to be like, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we talking about this or that? Next week, we will get deep in the woods when it comes to the ROH pay-per-view next week, which I think we'll mostly build, be building more than AEW, unfortunately, has done because they have way too many, you know, cooks in the uh, cooks in the kitchen with certain things. But last thing in regards to AEW, even though the last thing will actually be AEW again, but since we've spoken... There's no new news in regards to if, if CM Punk is ever coming back or not. As far as we know, he still hasn't been released. They haven't come to any settlement. But since we since we've spoken, we had that three matches in, which could be at one at some point down the line, the greatest, you know, best of seven, you know, matches of all time, with every match being a little bit different. I think the three matches have been very good. But what's your thoughts in regards to, and I know you're a huge CM Punk fan like I am, but what's your thoughts on the little jabs and everything that the elite are doing in these matches with, you know, Kenny doing the go to sleep with the Bucks uh, doing the, making fun of the Buckshot Lariat, which, you know, he, he missed the, you know, putting in being in the elite, keeping in, you know, the CM Punk, uh, FCM Punk chant, the fans, you know, basically booing them in Chicago. Do you think this is all just the 
the elite poking fun at the at the fans? Or do you think that, like I said from day one, hopefully they do what's best for, oh God, I hate this term, but they do what's best for business and CM Punk might come back? I think, I think what you said is best is that it's probably a real problem that got turned into a work. Um, I didn't think so at first. Uh, you know, our friend Felipe and a couple others felt differently. So let's, let's get, let's get this straight. So we can't legally talk about the post fight, you know, media scrum after all out, right. We can't talk about it, but CM Punk can go broadcast MMA fights and have other commentators take jabs about not necessarily jabs at the elite, but jabs about the situation and talk, you know, talk about generalization of what happened. Right. And Punk can laugh about it, which I didn't know about. till after I saw everything on dynamite, um, Gary Friedland, a good friend, a wrestling guru guy that we talked to is the one who pointed that out to me. So we have that happen. And then we have all this antics on dynamite. Tony Khan would look like a fool if he's allowed this to happen and not has, has not put his foot down or punished them. The only way that this does happen that way, and it's not a work is Tony really is just a mark then who has a lot of money and really has no like respect or leadership abilities at all. I find that the too far fetched. This all has to be a work. The theme song now, the new theme song, I forget exactly what it's called, but I, I know the song. Yeah. Um, it's, and then, then Kenny coming out saying, let's move on from it. But then they're doing the antics. It's too, it's too ironic. You know, the, 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 they had to have put something aside, buried the hatchet, and let's make money on this. I would be very surprised and shocked. And I'll even apologize for even thinking this. You know, it has to be a, now what's a work. So eventually Punk comes back at some point. Maybe maybe it's in March. Maybe it's, you know, when, when he's healed. And then there's some type of interaction again with MJF. Maybe there's some type of interaction where they do like, they bring FTR into play. If, if FTR is still there, they do Punk and FTR versus, you know, Omega and the Bucks. Something to that effect. Actually, Dax Harwood came out the other day in an interview with, I believe it, Fightful. Fightful, and, yeah. was, and was sticking up for Punk and, you know, uh, had only good words to say about him, how he always had locker room open and he would help anyone at any time. So I think Punk's been given a bad image. I'm not saying Punk doesn't deserve some of it because he's he his name is Punk. I mean, he's he's been a Punk. You know, I've watched him grow. He was a punk in Ring of Honor, and you know, uh, MJF's kind of taken his his road. You know, uh, I think we need to separate the two. The WWE situation with CM Punk and all that was a totally different situation. Is the same guy here that maybe had the chip on his shoulder then? Yes, CM Punk when he came in August of what was it, 2021, yeah, and then. You know, he was just humbly back in front of us. And then he fell into that mode of being a wrestler again. And then the chip on the shoulder came. And then, you know, and then we get to the media scrum, you know, a year later. And, you know, you know, uh, the a-hole's back, you know, like that, 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 that mentality. So 
sorry to run this all along, but I do feel it's finally a work. I feel they made it into a work. It has to be. I know some don't like that. I love it. I want Punk back. Um, I do not want Punk back in WWE. I will scream bloody murder if he does. So I want Punk back. I hope he can make some type of, you know, proper amendments to different, you know, talent. All sides can, you know, move on and be able to make more money and, and put on good shows. Um, so quickly, I would say I'm right now, I'm, I'm hoping it's a work or something that can be resolved. I still think the biggest match that you can make in AEW is CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. I think that's the, the absolute biggest match. I know you could say CM Punk versus Brian Danielson or CM Punk versus, you know, Samoa Joe, you know, these matches that he hasn't had in, you know, basically over a decade from his ROH run. But I, I, I said since the day that he came into the company, that the biggest match you can do is Omega versus Punk. Now, there's, there's many layers here. Do I ever want to see CM Punk be champion again? No, because he is, he's, you know, he's unfortunately a very old body-wise, 40-something years old. We've seen twice where he has these matches and he gets hurt. So I want him there as a personality, as a guy who's doing promos, a guy who, who does matches. But I don't see, I don't need to see him as the biggest guy in the company with having the title anymore. I think that experiment was a great idea. Unfortunately, due to health, it just didn't work out. I don't believe in the people who say that his title runs were, were, were worthless because, you know, when injuries happening, happen, injuries happen. I can't fault a person for that. Do I, I don't know if it's right now. I think it's somewhere in between where Tony is most likely still talking to CM Punk to see if they can resolve some stuff for when he comes and is realizing that the guy is going to be out for another like six months, most likely. And, you know, time heals all wounds. I do think part of it is absolutely that the Young Bucks for their whole entire career have tried to push the buttons on, on fans. And I think that they are a little bit being petty. And you know what? Aren't happy that they lost nine weeks of, yes, I'm sure they were very happy to be with their families for nine weeks, but they'd much rather be in the ring. And I'm sure that they are still a little bit ticked off at the whole entire situation and are throwing little jabs. I mean, I don't, you might, you might, I might be wrong, but in this last match, I didn't see any blatant um, jabs at CM Punk in the, the match from uh, yesterday. If I'm wrong, let me know. But I think they're, Right now, I still think that it's them being petty, but I think as long as he's still not as still as long as he's still with the company in some form, I think things can be resolved. And maybe this is coming from someone who's also a huge CM Punk, uh, CM Punk, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks fan. I love all these guys, so I mean, I'm hoping for the best. But it's going to be one of those things that we'll we will find out as time goes along. But there's nothing wrong with that. You, that's that's what we should want. And and you and you just made a point quickly. He doesn't have to be champion. He just has to be controversial. That's all he's got to be. He can come back and just be controversial. I mean, MJF's not the best wrestler in AEW. MJF's the most controversial and is the hottest. You know, the acclaimed aren't the best tag team in AEW. They're just the most controversial and the hottest. I'm not taking anything from them. But FTR could school them five times from Wednesday, right? But but they're not. But again, they're the hottest. So Punk can come back, still have a great match with Kenny Omega, 
and have a we can have a build up for four to six months. You know, we can have we can have it where it's like you know them just doing dumb antics back and forth just to get people involved in it, and then once Punk is cleared, then have that match. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, like I said, we're running a little short on time, so we'll uh, get into our final segment. I just want to make sure everybody who may have not known because I. Like I said, I didn't see every moment of last week's um, Dynamite. And if I did, I don't remember all of it. But at Historic Crossover, the New Japan um, stardom show that they did, at the end of the show, after Will Ospreay, who we'll get into in a couple of weeks, our best wrestler of the year and everything, stuff with that. But Will Ospreay had had, uh, successfully defended the title. And then a video played. I don't, uh, Harry, I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not. I, um, I but did not. On January 4th, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega at the Dome. We'll talk about that more as the weeks go along, but. Oh, I knew I, about that. I knew about that. Because uh, I think those are, I think that this is a great idea of starting this feud in AEW, including it in uh, New Japan. We'll talk more about that in the uh, in next couple of weeks. But our final subject of the of the week, we try to do some little fun as we close out, you know, these marathon shows. Earlier today, I put up in the uh, iHeart Wrestling uh, group a little bit, a little photo uh, of all the signings in 2022 in AEW. And trust me, there's quite a few of them. But I asked who is the best and worst signing of AEW so far this year. I think some people misunderstood when I said who was the best or worst, because we had a friend of the show, uh, Teddy Canyon, uh, Teddy Cagney, went and I don't know if he was just taking a jab, but he said, worst, worst probably Punk, best Danhausen, I guess maybe Keith Lee. So uh, unfortunately, Ted, 2021 was the year of CM Punk in more ways than you know one, most likely now, depending on how things go. But um, I'm going to give you some of the names. I know that you didn't. I know you gave your opinion earlier, but some of the names here. Keith Lee, Brody Lee, Dan Housen Lee. Sorry, just kidding. Um, Jack Atlas, who's no longer with the company because of particular reasons. AQ, uh, AQA uh, no longer, I think, is wrestling at the moment. I think she's taking some time off. Buddy Matthews, Swerve Strickland, William Regal, we spoke about quite a bit on the show. Jeff Hardy, who's had his own problems with sobriety, and hopefully he'll be back soon. Paige Van Zant, another MMA uh, fighter, went one match and then hasn't competed since because she was supposed to have um, a couple of fights outside of AEW. Tony Storm, who was champion. Wheeler Uter, who uh, has really become, I think, a mainstay in the company. Samoa Joe, Wardlow. Who, uh, Wardlow's a little bit of a silly one because he, he got his. Uh, Finally got his, you know, oily graphic this year, but he was had been with the company basically since day one. Athena, uh, Claudio Castanoli, Parker Boudreaux, who's Parker Boudreaux, Saray, who's just come back, Roosh, uh, Renee Paquette, Willow Nightingale, who was been with the company, but finally got her, uh, her you know, her oily. Everyone's favorite, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Bandito, Takeshita. And then our boy, all-time favorite of this podcast, A.R. Fox. So a lot of names are thrown out there, and I'm sure people will be rewinding back and forth and be like, 
I, I missed one of those because you know Corey speaks really slow. What was uh, what was your choice? And I'm and I I read it earlier, but what was your choice? Because I didn't agree with it. I can't remember off the top of my head. I just kind of just wrote. I remember, I, I remember. I remember. I had like division, so I had like who's best, current, best currently: Brody, Tony, Wardlow, and Joe. Best right. long term: AJ Fox, Bandito, Claudio, and Soraya. Most disappointing: Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Hardy, Parker, and Jake Atlas. Now. I'm not going to say those choices aren't good because you know how much I love Aaron Fox. I love Bandito. Claudio's Claudio. I left Jamie off there somehow by accident. Forgot. No, she, she didn't sign this year. She wasn't a signing right. this year. Right. But how, maybe this is just my heart not understanding, especially the fact that you know how much I love this podcast. And I'm starting to love you, apparently. N- not, not in a, a William Regal Excalibur way, but you know, he's a <laughs> cool dude. But how is Swerve Scott not the obvious answer to this as the most important signing this year by AEW? I mean, Swerve Scott is just next level great. He and is. I'm just going to go and uh, how is Swerve Scott not in any of your lists? I mean, you didn't. You definitely didn't go with the one per group. You 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 skirted the rules a little bit. Just like I'm going to put five or six in each group. How is Swerve Scott not make the list? Explain yourself, Harry. I have no beef with Swerve Scott whatsoever. <laughs> Swerve. Um, I, I think he's a great talent. He just doesn't captivate me. He just doesn't. Uh, I oh, Wheeler never... Yuta. I mean, Wheeler Yuta, one of the best. Wheeler, Wheeler Yuta is where I drop. Wheeler Yuta is where I drop. This is this is classic. Uh, Harry shouldn't answer things while he's doing three things at once. I'm not making an excuse. I'm being honest. Uh, I should not be answering. Yeah, I mean, he's a Cinnabon King. I mean, how how are we not? Uh, Kikesha could be the next big Japanese star. I mean. He's not. He doesn't make any of your lists. I'm just, of course, I'm just, you know, put pulling no. a right now. But I mean, I think I was trying to go outside the box. I saw other people use some of those names, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to just piggyback off of them. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to go outside the box and kind of guess what I felt by vibe. What would be what would be better? Um, I take nothing from uh, from uh, Swerve Strickland whatsoever. Um, I know there was some recent stuff. I posted it in a bunch of groups. There was, uh, you know, some WWE marks picking on Swerve for winning some type. Of, is it the five? I forget which belt it was. He won five. a belt. Five. Yeah. Yeah. He won a belt in a high school gym, and they were like, "Oh, like you know, you really must be, you know, terrible." Or you're not. I'm paraphrasing, but you're not. You're not really anything if you're winning belts in a gym. And I think us fans forget that they all start in a gym. They all start in a gym somewhere. Uh, high school gym or at some bingo hall or anywhere. I remember matches with AJ Styles and Brian Danielson years ago. You know, uh, was it 2002 maybe? It was a long, long time ago. Um, I mean, I saw CM Punk wrestle Ring of Honor in an armory in Bethany, Connecticut. Uh, I'm, it was actually the last time he wrestled there before going to WWE. Wow. But yeah, uh, Stevie Richard was there. And Stevie Richards' only reason to be there was to protect him. Vince had him there to make sure that Punk made it out with no problems. Uh, because, you know, that was Vince's next big thing to come in. Right. Um, you know, I think if you ask a casual fan who Tyler Black is, you know, they may, they may not know who that is. Right. You and I both know who, who that is. So, um, and for you who don't know, 
It's Seth freaking Rollins, you know. So uh, it's Seth Rollins, sir. We don't need the freaking. Come on, let's let's get back to normal. No I'm kidding. Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with the freaking part. I mean, Seth yeah. Seth's character is. Uh, I, I gotta give Seth credit, man. He's uh, definitely. Uh, he's definitely. He's made himself. He's made himself a diva in his own way. I mean, he was what wearing. Was he wearing? What was he wearing this past week? Was he was wearing the lace like outfit that Nikki Bella used to wear. Like, guy shot man. I don't know what's up with him. He's him and his wife both. They they wear some weird costumes and uh, you know our wardrobe. But uh, no, you're right. I I I dropped the ball on this one. Um, I need to be a little more um selective in my in my picks. I take full credit. I take full credit for it. I'm not saying that people I picked are bad. Mm -hmm. Um. I think that if AR Fox gets the chances that Swerve Strickland gets, I think AR Fox will have a longer or a better body of work. But then again, his wow. age comes into play too. But that might, but that be might be more just my me being biased than it is, you know, potential. Um, I've never claimed to not be, you know, biased at times. Sure. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not a Roman Reigns fan. I never have been. Um, I feel Roman Reigns uh, is, you know, I understand he's held the belt for two years and not to get into all that, but like he's a one trick pony. He does three or four moves. Like if I wanted to see Hulk Hogan again, 25, 30 years later, you know, like I would have, you know, just broke out some tapes or went to Peacock. I mean, so again, where other people like think Roman's, you know, the best wrestler on earth, I'm not saying he hasn't told a great story and all that, you know, and, and done his part as an entertainer, but I don't think he's a great wrestler. So, yeah. So anyway, so I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I sometimes will go off my personal belief rather than what's best for the industry or what the industry choice is. But I did drop the ball on, on, on Swerve Strickland. I also think I'm salty because I never wanted him paired up with Keith Lee. I wanted him just to be a solo act. I never wanted this pairing. I feel this is, this is where AEW kind of dropped the ball. They just smushed two guys together. And I'm not saying that they couldn't coexist, but this wasn't, I, I didn't like it. I, I always wanted them separately. And I feel both um, have been held back by being in a tag team. Wow. Um, well, we could discuss that more in future weeks. But uh, before we get out of here, just a couple of uh, the comments from the iHeart Wrestling Facebook group to my question. Some, some understood the question, some didn't. Uh, We've got Terry Klesko. Best best to me was Swerve. Worst was Jake Atlas. I mean, I think it's a little bit easy because Jake had his problems. Brandon Turner Sr. Best was Danhausen. Worst was Athena. That's going to be interesting as Athena goes on. I know she was made official during this podcast that Athena will be facing Mercedes Martinez for the uh, ROH women's title in a week. Uh, we've got KJ Snickerdoodle Higgins. Gotta, lo gotta love the creativity. Unless that's your actual name, uh, you may want to talk to your parents. Jake was released and AQA retired. So those are my two. Um, Blake Patrick, best Tony Storm, Wardlow, Brody, and Takeshita. And worst is uh, Paige Van Zandt, Jack a uh, Atlas, and Parker Boudreaux. Can't disagree with, uh, with that. I think that's some interesting choices by Blake. Uh, EJ Flubright. Lots of best, worst, Leo or Andrade because of his potential and what transpired. But I love him 
in the ring. So, EJ, as much as we love you, I don't think you totally got the understanding of the assignment there, but we do love your participation because uh, neither of those gentlemen are on the list, but they are two, you know, ones that haven't really worked out well so far. Uh, say we've got Harry, who we already discussed, and his his terrible job with the assignment. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, we've got Tim Dillon. Worst is Jake Atlas. Got signed, tore his tore his knee, and they got a domestic uh, dispute arrest. All very true. Best has been Wheeler Yuta, member of the Blackpool uh, Combat Club, and ROH Pure title run. Very well put. I really think long term the best will be Bandito, but he's still really new, so. Bandito, former ROH, champ- ROH champion, spoke about him in past episodes. I think there's a lot of bright future there. Uh, Ted Cagney, who we brought up, who uh, partly understood the assignment, and I think partly is just trying to troll a little bit. Worst probable probably was Punk, not 2022, but everything that's gone on, I can understand your point of view. Disagree with it. Best, Danhausen, I guess maybe Keith Lee. So we we thank everyone for participating in all of the different uh, Facebook uh, posts. So uh, we will, as time goes along, you know, we'll try to put some posts up here and there and then discuss them on the podcast. So uh, we always enjoy uh, people's interactions. But uh, unless there's something else uh, we want to get you want to talk about as one of your classic rants, Harry, uh, I think we're going to close out this uh, this imprint of a podcast. There we go. Using my word. I love it. So if you want to follow the podcast, uh, which I know I say every week and I swear is things get a little bit less crazy. Um, me and Harry will try to go and be a little bit more active on Twitter as long as it lasts. Uh, our Twitter handle is Let's Talk AW. And if you have any questions or emails or suggestions you would like to put, of course, you could do it on the, uh, the Wrestling Purist Facebook group run by Harry. Or also I I Heart Wrestling uh, Facebook group, but our email is let's talk about wrestling at gmail.com. Um, we have an Instagram. Unfortunately, I do not know what the uh, information on that is. I will try to get that as we go along in further weeks, and we'll try to put that in our description of the of each episode. But Harry, I think we had another entertaining conversation. We've got to go and set these up better where, you know, we disagree and we fight more because, you know, apparently that's what everybody loves, you know, just two random white guys on the internet, you know, fighting with each other. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But, uh, Harry, you have any final words you want to display to the audience uh, or imprint on them as we uh, call it a day? I need to let Swerve Strickland put his imprint on me, I guess, because obviously I dropped the ball today. So that's our. Well, his finisher is uh, like a foot stomp type of thing, so he definitely would have your imprint uh, of his shoe on your face. So I, I totally can get that. But uh, Harry, thank you very much for joining me today. And as always, you can catch old episodes of my former podcast, the Work Shoot Wrestling Front Podcast, with the human wheelbarrow, Jason Brooks, and he might kill me for doing this, but I want to be uh, to wish his two. Uh, Two kids, a happy first birthday. The twins uh, turned one officially today on December 1st. Uh, I the, uh, the hate mail coming in in, a, in an angry text, you know, leave my children out of your mouth, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Will Smith. Um, not not that Jay is Will Smith. I'm not saying that. He, does, he doesn't have, you know, the Oscar by any stretch. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and also you can check out on the FamDo Network, the You Don't Know Jackie podcast, You Don't Know Jackie View. We're talking about a lot of the 
big TV shows that are going out there now. <clears throat> Excuse me. With the return of Yellow Jacket coming soon and many other great shows, which we will talk about in the year to come. But Harry, happy belated, happy Thanksgiving to, to you and our audience. And I think the final word shall be yours. I look forward to seeing the fallout of William Regal. It should be fun. Stay tuned.